Hey guys, uh, I just wanted to wish y'all a happy Easter. I hope that you got to go outside on this beautiful day or spend some time with family or friends, whether that was in person or virtually. I hope that you got to do that. Um, and I hope that you also just took a little bit of time to reflect on this Easter Sunday because with all of this craziness and chaos and confusion going on, there's still so much peace and comfort and hope in the life of Jesus, right? Because if you look at it, he lived a perfect life and he went to the cross for each and every one of us, not because of something that we did, not because of something that we're going to do, but just because of who he is and how much he loves us and how much he desires our relationship with us. And then, you know, after going to the cross, he, you know, rose on the third day, which is symbolic of him overcoming everything, even death. And so, you know, with all this bad news going on, with all this you know, chaos and just confusing times, just turn to the life of Jesus and find that hope and find that peace and find that comfort in who he is and the life that he lived. Um, and so for today, we're going to be picking up right where we left off. So we're going to be in Genesis 5, if you have your Bible. And basically, this is the written account of Adam's family line. And so for this whole part, it kind of follows a similar pattern of introducing the person and then at the very end it tells you how many years they lived and then it says and then they died and so for an example I'll read Adams um, it says when Adam had lived 130 years he had a son in his own likeness in his own image and he named him Seth after Seth was born Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters altogether Adam lived a total of 930 years and then he died. And so throughout Genesis 5, it follows the same pattern except for when it mentions Enosh. And for Enosh, the beginning of it is the same, but it says, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enosh walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 365 years. He walked faithfully with God then he was no more because God took him away. And so what's symbolic of this is like, all these other people had the exact same description except for this one person. And Enosh's description was different because of this great faith that he had in the Lord, right? This faith that was so symbolic that it needed to be acknowledged in the Bible. And so another thing that's very symbolic about this is like, obviously if you read this verse, like it's hinting at, his eternal life in heaven with Jesus, but it's also hinting at the life that he was able to live on earth, right? He walked faithfully with God here on earth, and through that, he was able to impact people. Through that, he was able to, you know, live a life that was filled with joy, that was filled with good works, that was filled with the confidence and the strength of God. And so, I'm gonna, you know, dive into this topic of walking with God more in a second when I talk about Noah, but I think just realizing that like when your faith becomes the most important thing about you, right? The biggest thing about you, it makes you different, not just in God's eyes, but to the people around you. And so I think that that's just something awesome to shoot for. And um, we'll pick that up again when I talk about Noah. Um, so we're going to go ahead and go to Genesis 6. And this is basically when 
the wickedness of the people starts to kind of become overwhelming. And what I mean by this is obviously in the last podcast, we talked about the first sin, which was committed by Eve when she was deceived by the devil and kind of allowed his voice to be louder than God's as he tempted her to want to be like God. And, you know, as we discuss this, this is obviously an easy trap to fall into because the people around us, their voices are physically right here. And so sometimes it takes a little bit more effort to stay in tune with God and allowing his voice to speak the loudest in our lives. Um, But in Genesis 6, like, the human race is just becoming, like, overwhelmingly wicked. And this is what God has to say about it. It says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And so, after he says this, he kind of goes on to describe that he actually kind of regrets making mankind, right? And um, right after this, he describes one person who found favor in his eyes, and this person is Noah. And so, God decides that he's going to wipe out all creation except for Noah, who he's going to put in an ark with his family and with animals, and he is going to save them and kind of rebuild the human race from Noah and his family. Um, And it's interesting because right after this, the first sentence that God gives to describe Noah is he says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. And so there's this sentence again, right, that I just talked about with Enosh, and here it is about Noah. And as you continue reading this chapter, um, God will tell something, God will tell Noah something to do, and then it will say, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. And it like says that every single time that God specifically tells Noah to do something. And I think that this is very crazy to think about because like everything that Noah loved, everything that he was familiar with, everything that he knew, right? All these circumstances that he was so used to, God just told him he was going to wipe it all away, right? And instead of Noah sitting there and kind of moping in that or sitting there and being super confused or like doubtful in that time of who God is, he chose to do every single thing that God asked him to do without question, right? And so I think that that's crazy to think about because for myself and probably for some people in this group, if we were in Noah's shoes, like that would be so hard to do. For God to say, you know, I'm going to wipe everything away, but I'm going to save you and I'm going to rebuild everything through you. Some of us would be questioning, well, like, first of all, why are you doing this, God? Like, this doesn't make sense. And then the other group of us would be like, are you sure that you want to use me? You know, despite all the failure I've had in my life, despite all the times that I've come up empty, like, are you sure that, like, I'm the person you want to choose? But instead... Noah just walked into that full-heartedly. And I think this goes back to the walk thing that I really wanted to talk about. And so just for a second, I want you to think about, you know, a walk that you've been on. And when you do that, I kind of want you to picture it in your mind. Because for me, at least, 
when I go on a walk, you know, I'm in close proximity to that person, right? I'm on the same side of the road as them. We're really engaged in conversation. We're not distracted by our cell phones. We're not distracted by other situations. Like we're just very much in this moment, engaged in conversation, like going back and forth, focused on each other. Um, sometimes we might look around and notice the beauty around us, but then, you know, we're right back in that moment. And I think that this is so symbolic of the life that these two guys lived, right? Because they were so overwhelmed by who God was instead of being overwhelmed by their circumstance, right? They were so close to God, right? That like throughout the day, they were constantly talking to him. They were constantly allowing God to alter their hearts, to alter their minds, to allow them to make decisions and to say things that aligned with what God wanted. And so when you think about that, because they were close to God, because of this walk that they were on with God, they were allowed, they were able to be blameless and obedient, right? The way God described them. Because they were in close proximity with God, they were not questioning their circumstances, but just stepping into it. Even when they couldn't see the good, right? Even when God told them that he was literally going to wipe away everything, they were still faithful because of this great relationship they had built with God. And so, on the other hand, we have, you know, this wicked generation that God's describing. And they were like that because they were choosing to walk with the world, right? And so, kind of breaking this down, people that are walking with the world, they're very focused on the present. They have a very black and white vision. They have a very good and bad you know, vision of the world. They don't see the greater picture. They don't see that, you know, God might be working something behind the scenes because another part of the Bible, it says that God takes all things and he works it out for his good. Not just the good things that we call good here on earth, but all things. Um, these people were obviously very consumed by sin and they were very consumed with paving their own path. And so kind of an issue that these people ran into is like, because they weren't walking with the Lord and they were instead walking with the world, the world started, defi started to define even their vision of what was right and wrong, right? Because when you're walking with God, it's very easy to see the things that he does or does not want us to do. Because for one, you can look at the perfect life of Jesus. But when you're walking with the world, there's no worldly standard that is perfect to compare an action to. And so you can become very confused, you can become very sinful and not even know it. And so I just think it's important to not only love God, but to be walking with him every single step of the day and to be allowing that to change your heart and to change your mind and to soon, you know, change your actions. And so um, a little while later, you know, the water is starting to go down and Noah stays in the ark until God tells him to come out. And then when he comes out, he immediately builds an altar to the Lord and starts worshiping him. Um, kind of a bad thing that happens is after Noah is on the earth for a while, um, he kind of, the last image we get of him is not necessarily a positive one. And so kind of what I mean by this is the last image we have of Noah is him, you know, drinking too much and getting very intoxicated. And he's actually laying in his tent naked. And some of his family goes in and they 
try to cover him up and he gets very angry and he ends up cursing his own grandson. And so when you think about this, when you think about the Noah that I just described before this, like it doesn't match up with this action at all, right? Completely faithful, like not questioning anything, like just following after God, um, even building an altar the second he gets back onto, you know, the regular earth. Um, but I think that this moment is symbolic of like, even when you're on this great journey with God, there's still going to be temptations. There's still going to be moments that call you or try to call you away from this great path that God's trying to walk with you on. And so I think that maybe outwardly, Noah had it all together, right? He was building the altars. He was doing the good works. And if someone looked at his life, they would know that, you know, he was living for God. But inwardly, he might have had some struggles that he hadn't addressed. And this moment was some of those maybe coming to surface. And so just kind of reviewing this one moment, it's important to, yes, allow your actions to represent God, but your heart needs to be aligned with God above all else, right? Like you should have your relationship in your heart with God and then the good work should stem from that. It shouldn't be opposite, right? You shouldn't have to feel like you have to work for God's love because you already have it. And through that love should stem the good actions, the good works, right? Um, and then the last story that I wanna hit on is the Tower of Babel. And you can find this in Genesis 11. And I'm just going to read a small part of this so that you can understand what I'm going to be referencing. And so it says in Genesis 11:4, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. And so... Just kind of looking at the language in this, they said, come let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. And so just kind of reviewing this on a whole, like none of that language points to God at all. Like they're literally wanting to build a, te- uh, a tower up as high as God just for themselves to make a name for themselves. And so this story is all about ambition, which is a good thing to talk about because I know we have a lot of athletes in this group. And so basically what these people were doing is they were trying to make this great name for themselves without doing anything for God's kingdom. And I think that like, although none of us literally try and build this great tower up to be as high as God, sometimes the hearts or thoughts that we have going into games or things that we're doing in our life is very, very similar to these people, whether we realize it or not. You know, wanting to do super good in a game so that you can kind of build this reputation for yourself or even to find happiness in a sense instead of relying completely on God to fulfill you is very similar to kind of building this tower up to heaven because In essence, these people became so ambitious that they were starting to compete with God instead of serving Him. And I think that without us realizing it, we do this. You know, when we're working so hard to get that spot or that promotion or whatever it may be in your life, and you're kind of 
working just for those reasons instead of relating it back to God, you know, you're kind of starting to build this tower. And so I think the biggest thing to realize about this story is like nothing in your life should one be a competition with God, but nothing in your life should be a competition between what you're giving your time to and God, right? Because when you're living right, when you're walking with God, everything that you do, everything that you think, every action you have relates back to God because that's how close you are to Him. And so to kind of wrap this up, I think it's just important to realize, are you walking with God or are you walking with the world? And just seeing, you know, your heart and your thoughts and your actions and just deciding where you are within that is just so important because, you know, one of them leads to an unwavering faith, an unwavering foundation that allows you to have the good works. And the other one, you're consumed by sin, you're consumed by everything around you, and sometimes you're consumed by things that you didn't even know you were consumed by. And sometimes you begin to compete with God instead of serving God. And so just the biggest thing to realize is like, God literally made you to serve him. And through that, all the pressures of the world, all the confusion of the world, all the hurt of the world kind of begins to fade away as you just draw closer to God, continue to walk closer to God and continue to love and live for God more. And so that's where I'm gonna stop for today. Um, If y'all have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to reach out. Uh, I can't wait to talk about this with you all later in the week. Um, I love you guys and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you.